Hello and welcome back to the F2 show and welcome to this week's special edition. We're at the halfway point of another brilliant FIA Formula 2 season. Uh, so we felt it was only right to do a mid-season review and dissect all of the action and the drama so far this season. And joining me for today's show, uh, we have Inside F2 writer Lawrence Griffin. We have Inside F2 editor Hannah Pruffick and we have GP Grandstand Jim Kimberly. Coming up on today's show... Obviously, we've had a different format this season, four rounds in. What do our panel make of it so far? We'll find out. We'll discuss which drivers have made an impression so far this season. And finally, we'll talk about our expectations going into the second half of the season. But before we discuss all of that, Jim Lawrence, we're fresh off the back of go-karting. We went to the Motormouth uh, go-karting charity go-karting event uh, for the Brain Tumor Charity. A brilliant day. Uh, How do you find it, Jim? Yeah, it's great. Almost as great as hearing you say go-karting so many times in one time. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was really good. And uh, thanks to Inside F2 for inviting me along. And thanks to Motormouth for putting it on. It's a really good event. Um, for people that don't know, we had a two and a half hour, I think it was, endurance race with a bunch of celebrities amongst motorsport YouTubers and so on. And five of us represented inside f2 and we came first place of the back half of the grid so <laughs> yay go us with our very subpar performance but really enjoyed it um lovely track and the rain stayed away so we had a nice sunny day as well and i came back with a bit of a, a bit of a suntan on my arm so can't really do better than that can you exactly exactly 13th place finish out of 22 teams that entered lawrence enjoy it yeah, definitely. I might have uh, might have cost us a place or two just at the end there, but it was <laughs> it was brilliant fun. Yeah, um, echo to echo what Jim said. Massive thanks to to Motormouth for organising it and to Inside F Two for having me along. It was brilliant to see so many motorsport celebrities turning out also for for such a good cause for the Brain Tumor Charity. So that was that was really brilliant to see. And I couldn't have had a better day out. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously echo those words, a brilliant charity. You can, of course, go and check out uh, all the highlights from that that are there on YouTube. Uh, you can go to Motormouth and follow them on their socials. Uh, and you can go and check out all the photos from the day. Uh, and of course, uh, a brilliant charity, really, really good charity. So if you do want to donate, we'll put the link in the description below. Uh, and you can do go and donate. And I'm sure they'd be hugely appreciative. Yeah, as we said, a brilliant charity. And also a shout out to Bobby Thompson as well, uh, a brilliant teammate. We had him as our uh, as our fifth driver our pro driver um and uh, yeah absolutely brilliant to have him with us so let's get stuck into it then hannah a brilliant season so far what's been your standout moment so many that i could pick from oh i've gone back and forth but for me i think it probably has to be liam lawson's performance in monaco in the wet conditions i think in the sprint race two obviously we knew the Rockies were going to be good this year. I maybe didn't expect them to be as good as they were. And I think for me, it was just one of the moments that showed the racecraft, I think, to us, the whole Monaco weekend in general, because obviously Taylor Pusher did well the feature, to win the feature race. And I think it just highlighted how far the drivers are coming across the season. And for me, Lawson's performance probably was the standout in the sense, given how difficult we know Monaco can be and in the wet conditions Crikey, we saw F1 drivers struggle later on in the day in the drier conditions, whereas um, the F2 guys got thrown in at the deep end and Lawson just managed to put in a stellar performance. Unfortunately, then got disqualified, which I felt really bad for because he got disqualified first and um, incorrect throttle map, which actually gave him a worse start than 
it, the one that he should have used was. So it felt a bit harsh, but you can't fault his performance there. So even though he didn't get the win, you're still going to give him props for it. Yeah, he's had a really impressive start to the season and he has a, as a rookie. And as you say, the rookies have been brilliant this season. Obviously, a rookie leading the championship so far. We'll get into that in a bit. But, Jim, I want to talk about the new format. Obviously, a new format for Formula 2 this season. Three races per weekend across eight rounds. We know that Formula 2, they're having a look at it. They see it. They're reviewing it. Uh, I think there's been a few concerns about the big gaps in between some of the rounds uh, on the calendar. But what have you made of it so far? Yeah, I've got a say those concerns are pretty valid it does seem like it's a long way between the races and though it's going to be a bit closer for, for the upcoming couple but between having six to eight weeks between rounds is mammoth the formula one have a, a four-week gap every year as the summer break and formula two is getting that almost every round at the moment and yeah, frustrating to try and keep coherency a little bit as well because you're thinking back well, well what happened in that race and the Bahrain was the first race of the season and that's only you know what four or five rounds ago now depending how you look at where we are in the season but it was back in March <laughs> that's bonkers and not to not to answer Hannah's question but my favorite part of the season was that first race we've seen the three Alpine drivers going you know hammering tongs at it in the dark sparks flying and it was great but that was round one of four rounds so far it was ages ago <laughs> it's like it's so long in the memory so yeah i think i think that i need to address it i understand the cost concerns and i think i need to address it by having the tracks they do visit closer together just for the simplicity of understanding how the that's the coherency of the championship or revert back or do something different to to make it not eight rounds for an entire season it's it, these guys are meant to be stepping up into F1 and I can imagine just how difficult it is to race in three races plus a qualifying um, on one race weekend. But then when you've got two months to relax and maybe lose a bit of your stamina and whatnot, it's not really the best preparation that, you know, Oscar or Robert or somebody might be looking for for going into F1 next year if they get that opportunity. So I do think they need to address it and, GP Grandstand, like you said, that's where, that's where I do a lot of my stuff. And we've got F3 and W Series, and the weekend's just crammed. It feels so busy to try and keep up to date with everything. And uh, W Series and F2 and F1 were at Silverstone, so that was the same sort of weekend. And with the sprint race as well, it was just almost too much. And I can't believe I'd say that as a, as a motorsport fan, but it almost seemed like too much racing, single-seater racing i know the porsches are there and that's whatever but just sound like too much single-seater racing to keep on top of um so yeah i'm not the biggest fan of it if they went back to it next year i wouldn't look back to the previous format next year i wouldn't be like oh no i really enjoyed it and if they do that's great it's just how they address the cost concerns so not the biggest fan and two reverse grid races it makes it a bit more entertaining but it also might throw the championship a little bit out the way in terms of the credibility of whoever ends up winning some of those races. Yeah, let's wait and see what they decide to do. Lawrence, if we were going to go with, you know, perhaps races that are closer together on the calendar, we're already missing, you know, Spain, Austria. It's going to be weird with Formula 1 going to Spa next and Formula 2 not racing at Spa. Do you think that, you know, it, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you, you don't want to miss the, the, best, the, best, the best circuits on the calendar, do you? No, absolutely not. And you want these drivers to be tested over a range of circuits. Like Jim said, the it is also a series that is trying to prepare these drivers for Formula One. 
and they would certainly i'm sure appreciate racing at the likes of of spa and at, and at spain places that will be tough jumping into as a as a formula one driver without that experience but like uh, like jim says there's a so many factors to consider in terms of what the drivers will experience what the fans will even experience because i think certainly for the fans turning up having so much racing on a weekend is is brilliant for us at home trying to keep up with other series as well it can be quite confusing um but yeah i think that the gaps is is something that we'll have to to certainly address um and it would be nice to see f2 cars in in different settings as well yeah absolutely okay that's the format then let's take a look at the championship standings at the halfway point of the season Oscar Piastri uh, leads the way five points ahead of you and I virtuosis Guan Yu Zhou Robert Swartzen makes it two frame drivers in the top three after an impressive last couple of rounds Dan Tictum and Yuri Vips round out the top five and the team standings Prima take a 37-point lead into the second half of the season from you and I, Virtuosi. Carlin and Hightech have been glued at the hip all season long. Carlin take a two-point lead into Monza, but you can be assured that they're going to be battling it out all the way up to Abu Dhabi. And 2018 runners-up ART round out the top five. Let's start with Oscar Piastri, then obviously our championship leader. Hannah, we've already said a rookie lead in the championship. Um, how would you think, you know, how would you assess the season so far? I think if you're Oscar Piastri, you've got to be pretty positive considering his first half of the season. I think he's put on incredible performances and he seems to have hit the nail on the head in terms of podcast after podcast. We reiterate the idea of consistency is key in the championship and he's nailed it. I think if you look at his performances across the season, yes, he's obviously won in Bahrain. He's obviously podiumed in Monaco and in Baku and in Silverstone. Hasn't always been the fastest out there. Hasn't maybe he's had some difficulties but has been able to combat them I think that's the thing that most impresses me is that he doesn't seem to have the same ups and downs that a lot of the other drivers have and for example Joe has had I think it's four non-point scoring finishes but Oscar's only had two and one of which was a retirement and it proves for me the maturity that he has even though he's a rookie he's come out there been able to adapt well to the car and make it his own and has definitely put himself in the firm hunt for a possible F1 seat I think you can't even if he doesn't win the championship, you can't look at his season this year and think he doesn't deserve an F1 seat when he clearly does. And I think the thing that also surprised me was his pace in qualifying as well, because traditionally we've seen, well, previously we've seen in Formula 3, he won the championship despite, I think, never qualifying on the front row. Last time he'd had a pole position was 2019 Formula Renault Euro Cup. And he comes out here, gets a pole position and does a brilliant job. And I think... For him, is it's getting that speed mixed with the racecraft, and it's why he does so well. I think he has that maturity and that confidence in himself that I think maybe some of the other drivers lack at this point in the season. Still getting to grips with the car, and Prima have obviously put together an incredible car yet again, and we see that rectified with both their drivers being in the top three. So I'd say roll on the rest of the season because with a lot of circuits, with a couple of circuits that many of the drivers on the grid haven't faced before, especially Jeddah. Could be an interesting one, and I'd definitely keep an eye on him. Jed is definitely going to be an exciting one, isn't it? I'm looking forward to that. But you've just mentioned there, obviously, Hannah uh, Guan Yu Zhou not scoring in four races this season. And Jim, you know, is that, I mean, he, I mean, he's, he's led the championship for pretty much the entire first half of the season up until, you know, the last round in Silverstone. Would he be a little bit disappointed not to come away with a championship lead? 
Yeah, of course. And uh, not that I'd like to do it, but I'll have to correct Tano. So it's actually five non scoring yeah. finishes. Well, it's four in a row to really derail his championship. Um, so yeah, consistency being the key word. He's, he's one more rounds than, than Oscar has, but yeah, one more race, should I say, to be completely correct. But he hasn't got the championship lead at the moment. He's still right in the fight. So there's no way of ruling him out. And if I was uh, Mia Sharizman of Alpine, I'd be absolutely delighted to have this problem and then just go to my bosses and say, where's my second Formula One team? Because look at this talent that we're blocking up with a 40-odd-year-old. Um, yeah, right. Okay. It's, it's it's a problem, isn't it? That they've got such they've got such a good driver academy at the moment. What are they going to be able to do with these drivers if Piastri or Joe win the championship? What's next for either of them? So, very good problem to have, but probably not so good if you're either of those men that are going to be wondering what more could I have done to prove myself to come into the sport. Um, but that'd be a nice problem for Joe to have if he if he manages to get there. Uh, He's clearly got speed, but after so many seasons racing in here now, it'd be surprising if he didn't. Um, he, he's in a team which I think is working well for him, that sort of consistency again. The, the, have a shot if you're playing that game, but that consistency of team seems to have helped him this year because he really hit the ground running um, at the start of the championship. And yeah, he's faltered a little bit and been a bit here and there, but there's a lot of good results to take from it. And getting that win at Monaco in particular when I don't think it was looking all that great for him, reverse grid or not. Um, the, these are the things that are going to help him get to the top of the championship. So I'd be disappointed to not be leading it, but it's not like he's in a position like uh, the other Alpine driver, Lundgaard, who's just not going to have a chance of winning the championship. He's in a position where it's well within his abilities, well within his um, capabilities to get there to the end of the season, bring back a few more wins, edge out the Astri and take the championship. So I'm not going to rule him out whatsoever. It's looking really strong. Yeah, absolutely. And let's talk about, obviously, Christian Lungard whilst we're talking about the Alpine Academy guys. A brilliant weekend in IndyCar, obviously, where he's uh, gone on his debut, qualified P4, had a really strong weekend. Do you think... <laughs> It's really difficult, isn't it, knowing where Alpine are going to, you know, place these guys. Is it is is Christian Lungard? We know how good he is, but is you know just the unfortunate season meaning it is the time of Alpine's maybe coming to an end? Is IndyCar a potential route for him? Uh, it, it's difficult to know, isn't it? That I don't really think at the moment, especially looking at his other Alpine Academy stablemates, that Formula One is a likely possibility right now. So. The IndyCar route might be a clever way of trying to preempt any sort of booting out of the academy or um, leaving on mutual terms, if that's the way they, they go down it. But I think it's just more heartbreaking to see a clear talent get the curse of the ART seat, the second ART seat. And I think with the links that uh, Mr. Porsche has, he was never going to have the curse of the second seat. So it was a bit of a inevitability for this if you want to think there actually is something wrong with that that car that he that uh, Lundgren was going to struggle this year but the extent of which he struggled has surprised me and uh, I was saying earlier in the, in the podcast that his performance at Bahrain racing there and um, I think stewards intervened at one point of his pit stop if I remember correctly show that he has the capabilities again of being at the front end being at the sharp end coming on the podium challenging but for all the uh, all reasons, some within his control, some without out of his control, 
he's just not managed to string any sort of consistency together to be to be there. So yeah, I think he's really gonna be looking at what can I do next year to keep myself racing and Finley Car is it. That's good for him. Um I'm sure the dream is to be an F1 driver, but failing that, if you're not gonna be an F1 driver, driving professionally in any sports series, yeah, that's not a bad, a bad uh, second place dream, is it? Yeah, definitely not. He's been so unlucky this season, and he it just hasn't quite fallen into place. And I think people forget how young he is as well. Only twenty years old still, and uh, you know, a, a, a brilliant driver. So hopefully, whatever he decides to do next, if that's Formula Two, another season in Formula Two, or going over to India, whatever it might be, I'm sure we wish him the best of luck for for that and for the remainder of the season. Uh, another driver who will be probably you know a, looking at a Formula One seat potentially next season, Robert Schwartzman, many people's favourite for the title pre-season. Uh, uh, how yeah, Lawrence? How how would you rate your season so far? Well, it's been it's been a really mixed bag for, for Robert Schwartzman so far. Obviously, like you say, coming in as the the favourite and his sort of fellow experienced Formula driver in in Guan Yu Zhou, um, sort of took that that early lead in the championship whilst whilst Schwartzman really floundered in involved in incidents quite often um and he just had a bit of bad luck here and there and at times really lacked the pace of some of the of the rookies as well um the one thing that stands out for him is he's had those uh, two sprint race victories in in the first sprint races in in baku and in silverstone that have both been um, absolutely dominant so when he does get into that position when he strings it all together he does have that capability to absolutely run away with it um, so we'll have to see how he does in the, in the rest of the season, if he can start to get, um, more regular victories, that consistency again, then he might be able to, to overhaul those last few, uh, few points that are in between him and the, him and the title at the moment. Um, but yeah, like, like Hannah says, uh, it's Piastri that's looking like the, the, the strong one who's regularly scoring points. So he's going to have a, a real job on his hands. I'm wondering, actually, if Oscar coming out of the gate so fast at Premier has maybe put Robert off a little bit at the start of the season. It's taken a few rounds to get into the swing of things. And had a bit of messy first laps. I think it was at Monaco and Bahrain. He lost a front wing and had to go and pit early, which scuppered him. Um, but, yeah, I do wonder, having such a strong teammate when he's gone into this season, thinking, right, last year that was mixed, this one's me. And then seeing Piastri come out as quick as he has, if that was a bit of a, of a surprise to him, and Absolutely. finally addressing the slide, I think there's I think there's such an expectation in F two. We've had so many talents come through and perform so brilliantly in their first season. You know, Schwartzman himself did well last season. That um, I think perhaps drivers in that second season feel that pressure to do the likes of what Mick Schumacher did last season. And to be that complete package when you're still on such a competitive grid in terms of how close the machinery is and in terms of the quality of that rookie talent that's coming through all the time and the slight advantage that other experienced drivers like Guan Yu Zhou also have. So I think perhaps Schwartzman suffered a little bit from people expecting him to have a relatively simple task this season, but it's, it's just not been the case. 
we highlighted those two in particular at the beginning of the season and said, oh, well, you know, really looking forward to the Premier battle because these two guys are absolutely brilliant. And yeah, they, they, they've been very, very close, haven't they? Both won it, you know, some races each. And uh, yeah, let's wait and see who comes out on top uh, at the beginning of the season. Premier have been brilliant as well, haven't they? Absolutely brilliant. So let's wait and see. Um, another driver I want to talk about, Dan Tictum. Uh, he's been electrifying in some races. Hasn't quite put it all together so far this season. Uh, obviously dropped by the Williams Driver Academy um, in the last few weeks, which I'm sure he'll be pretty gutted about. Hannah, are we, I don't want to say this, but are we looking at potentially Dan Tickton, you know, I don't know what the funding's like. Are we looking at now he's not with Williams, he might not finish the season? I think there's probably a possibility of it. I think necessarily with the Williams situation, it's probably more not saying Williams putting funding into his seat, but any of the sponsors that he has got seeing that he's not going to get an F1 seat. We know how tight it is, even if the one's tied to driver academies. I think for him, there is a very real possibility he could end up going elsewhere towards the end of the season, especially, say, for example, if it gets to after Sochi, if he's not in the championship fight anymore, whether he does move elsewhere. Obviously, we've seen Lungard and IndyCar. We've seen a fair few even former F2 champions go elsewhere. Recently, Nick DeVries going over to FE. And even obviously the likes of Callum Lot and Jack Aitken over in GT, I think for Dan, he's got a realistic head on his shoulders. He knows that an F1 seat isn't a possibility anymore. Where is the best opportunity he can get elsewhere? And we know how much he loves pure hard fought racing. We've seen it on track time and time again, the amount of battles he's got himself into, doing three car overtakes and things like that. It's just massively I think, impressed a lot of people. And I think this year has maybe signified his maturity compared to what we saw on track last year. Last year, he was quick, but was maybe a bit more scrappy than he has been this time around. He's obviously not had completely clean races and has been caught up sometimes, but has managed to string along a better run of consistency than he had previously. So he's definitely, I think, still in the hunt for the title battle and whether he'll, if he is still in the title hunt, will want to take that title and fight till the end because ultimately, yes, it might not mean an F1 seat, but you're not going to turn down being a Formula 2 champion unless you're getting an incredible seat elsewhere. So I would say likely to fill out the season, but I wouldn't keep my fingers crossed. But overall in Carlin, he's done a pretty solid job. So he might not have been a perfect start for the season, but has been a pretty all right one in his case. I'll tell you what, Dan Tictum in IndyCar, I would absolutely love to see that. I think it'd be brilliant. But um, yeah, obviously it would be it would be a real shame if he didn't finish the season, Jim. I know we've spoken on previous podcasts about, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a real problem, isn't it? You know, drivers getting funding, being so reliant on sponsors and potentially not being able to, to finish the season, uh, you know, just because they've, they've lost a sponsor or a bit of funding or whatever it may be. It would be a shame, wouldn't it? Can you imagine this season if Lando Norris just had to pull out? I know it's not exactly the, the same with the, the gap in the championship, but that's kind of what it would feel like. That's the equivalent. It's somebody right at the sharp end, maybe not in the full championship battle right there, but really not that far off. And then all of a sudden, oh, guys, I, I can't afford this. Sorry, got to go. It's it's horrible. That's, uh, that's the situation is. And I understand why it's, you know, to run one of these teams to run a single car, it's not like it's pennies and somebody has to pay for it. And that's going to be sponsors, uh, unless you've got rich family, um, like certain drivers in Formula One right at the moment. Whether it's fair or not, I don't know. And I think I've said before in this podcast that it's always been a sport for rich, for rich people. It's always been us watching rich people racing. So it shouldn't come as a surprise, but it's always still breaks my heart to see because seeing these talents uh, get so close 
and then never actually taste what they try to get. Yeah, it's it's not it's not good to see, and especially I think Tictum this year as well, echoing some of the comments about the maturity, about how quick he is, and really quick as well. Baku in particular really stuck out for me. How many overtakes that kid performed, race after race, like every single time, um, and also how much he's come into Carlin and then I won't say embarrassed, but not far off, Jehan Deruvela in the other car. He's really put his foot down and I don't know what Red Bull will want to do with Darugula uh, after this season because he's had a very middle of the road campaign in particular when you consider how fast the Carlin appears to be when it's guided by Tictum and not to dismiss Darugula's efforts he's, he's got a couple of podiums and he's a P2 in the opening round but hasn't really attained those heights since whilst Tictum is sniffing at the championship lead um, so clearly either Deruval is not performing or Tictum is outperforming the car. And I think it's actually Tictum, because we know Carlin are a quick team, and we saw that with, with Sonoda last year. And I do think that Tictum is driving the car to the best of his capabilities, the best of, the best of its capabilities. And if he doesn't get to finish the season driving for Carlin, maybe he'll find a seat at a lower team, but then that's his championship gone. So no one wants to see it, and I hope it doesn't happen. Yeah, and fingers crossed for Dan, he does maintain his, you know, his drive for, for the rest of the season. But obviously, that's what's so good about these academies, isn't it? And you've just spoken about the, the Red Bull Academy there. Out of the three, obviously, Yuri Vips, uh, Liam Lawson, Jay Handrubler. Who Who's impressed you the most out of those three Red Bull juniors? Vips, <laughs> unquestionably for me. He's been, he's been ace, really has been ace. Um, I've, I was hopeful. I was writing a bit about him and reading a bit more about his history beforehand. Uh, you know, how many Estonians can you name, let alone Estonian drivers? And uh, it'd be great for him to come out of this uh, this country that's not particularly well known for, for motorsport prowess. Um, getting a, a seat at AlphaTauri, I don't know, that's maybe getting ahead of myself, but certainly this season, he's not going to be um, turning anybody off in Formula 2 next year for a, a potential top drive. And a couple of wins, um, ace to see. And the only driver, yeah, just checking just checking the results, the only driver so far to have won two races at the same round in, in yeah. Formula 2, which is hell of impressive. So, yeah, not to dismiss Lawson's efforts as well. And I know I don't want to, uh, I don't want to poop on Hannah's comments about Lawson being so impressive, because he is. But Eurovips has stood out for me uh, as, the, as the Red Bull drivers this year. And at a time when... I don't know what the next steps are for Red Bull's junior program, as in what happens to AlphaTauri next year, what happens even in Red Bull next year. Vips isn't doing himself um, any harm by performing as well as he is in Formula 2 and essentially being the lead rookie potential next year driver to, to get a step up. So, yeah, hugely impressive from Yuri and long may it continue. Yeah, and Liam Lawson, you know, he Hannah's already said he's, he's been, you know, a few, a few disqualifications. He's been a bit unlucky this season. Out of the two, Lawrence, if you're Helmut Marco, and uh, you know that's a that's a that's a thing to imagine in itself, isn't it? But if you are Helmut Marco, who are you? Or you know, including Jay Handruber as well, who are you taking if there is a drive uh, in Formula One next season? Well, it's, it's such a difficult one. I, I feel like I'm getting in between Hannah and and Jim here. I'm going to have to make a decision. Um, I, th I think I would slightly lean on the side of Lawson. I think just like, uh, just like <laughs> Hannah said, that that wet weather performance in Monaco was was absolutely brilliant. And 
some of his moves throughout the season, his overtake on Piastri at Monaco in particular, I thought was absolutely fantastic. And to see, we've already spoke about it, juniors giving each other just enough room when racing around Monaco in the wet is 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 astounding. It really is. Um, and just throughout the season, the sort of moves he's he's been put, been putting on other drivers. Of course, he was really unlucky to go out um, at the second turn in in one of the Baku races. Um, I think he is he is a relatively complete driver. Um, whether that's to go up to Alpha Tauri already for next season, or whether he needs another another year remains to be seen. Um, I think I think he's he's been unlucky not to be in that top five in the championship i think his his performance really does merit it so yeah it, i think it's all up to the second half of the season where whether we see this as uh, an opening half with a few blips and then more consistency or whether we see it as a bit of a patchy season altogether um but i think for either of those drivers it's going to be a, a tough ask to to get into that alpha towery team which is evolving which is looking like a really professional outfit you've seen how much Sonoda, who did so well last season, is struggling to keep up with, with Pierre Gasly in a car that um, Pierre has shown is capable of, of podiums if everything falls into place. Um, so, yeah, it's not a, not an easy decision for, for Helmut Marco, but I'm, I'm sure he'll manage it. De oh, he definitely will, won't he? I mean, knowing Helmut Marco, we could have Liam Lawson in the car by Zandvoort, and then we could have Yuri Vips in the car by, you know, Jeddah. Who, who knows what he's thinking? Or, but, or they uh, could be gone. Who knows? They could be gone. They could be gone I, as well. I'd, I'd say the prospect of having both of those in high tech again next year could put high tech as one of the strongest teams potentially for a championship next year if they retain them. Uh, I don't want to say he's as a weak season. I think he's had a roller coaster of a season. Um, but maybe that is a bit of a, a problem for just going straight from F2. Okay, you had a good season going to F1. I'm happy to see Yuki there because he seems like he's a, a quick driver and I love to, to see Japanese drivers in the sport. But if two seasons in F2 is the way to go and then we have a future Red Bull driver in one of these two guys, yeah, great to see it. So high tech can retain them or however, they, however it works. I'd love to see that next year as well. Yeah, former Formula Two driver Alex Albon still in the in the in the frame as well at Red Bull. So they've got plenty of options, yeah. haven't they? Almost as good as Alpine. So many options. There you go. Um, Hannah, I want to speak to you. We, you know, haven't got the time to speak about every single driver, but two drivers as well: uh, Teo Porcher, Felipe Drogovic. How how would you as you know assess their their campaigns so far? I mean, Teo Porcher, obviously that win in, in Monaco. Uh, it's his rookie season. He's so so young. How how do you assess his performances so far this season? Overshare has been, I feel like there's a lot of standouts across the season, but yeah, he is one of them. I think that performance in Monaco, I could not find fault with his performance, especially in that race, particularly. He was just so incredibly fast, and I think had, I hate the phrase, I'm going to use the word maturity, but he's what, 17? Just he's, finished school. Yeah, yeah, just finished school. He got his driver's license before I did, so <laughs> I saw that, but I think. You can't fault him on what he's done. I think I wasn't, I expected maybe the ART to be a bit quicker. Obviously, we've seen the Lungard having the curse of the second ART. I don't think them as a team have been as strong this year as they have been previously. And maybe that's reflected sometimes in the points that he's got. But he's sixth in the championship in his rookie season. 
I think, especially considering his age, he wasn't going to get promoted straight up. And I think he'll probably benefit the most from having that second year in F2, being able to come back, put in a solid title campaign. And from what it's looking like, he could end up securing a cyber seat because obviously he's got the title of their academy. Ferrari no longer have as much of a say over the second seat. So whether we could see Teo share in F1 in 2023, I think it's definitely an interesting prospect. And Felipe Jurovic, I think I'm a little bit underwhelmed and it feels awful to say because he's seventh, but that you and I virtuosi is a lot quicker than some of the performances he's put on. He's had quite a few non-point scoring finishes, hasn't had the pace that he showed last year and I was expecting more from him. Hopefully he'll have a better second half of the season. I don't know whether, especially for some of the returning drivers, obviously we've had Monaco and Baku that weren't on the calendar last year, whether that threw them off a little bit compared to what they'd had last time round, whether the gaps have impacted them, I don't know. But hopefully it'll be a better second round for him because at the moment, Guan Yuzhou is quite clearly the lead you and I virtuosi and it's the one that, of the two of them, you would be backing for the title. He was rapid last season, Felipe Djokovic, wasn't he? And uh, yeah, maybe he hasn't had the, the start of the season what he uh, would have hoped for, but still obviously second half of the season to go. And uh, we know how things quick how quickly things can change in Formula 2, don't we? So don't be writing anyone out just yet. Another driver I want to talk about, Jack Aitken. Silverstone may well have been his last time in a Formula 2 car. Uh, he obviously had a nasty accident a couple of weeks ago in the Spa 24-hour race, uh, broken collarbone, a fractured vertebrae. So of Obviously, we're wishing him all the best thoughts with Jack Aitken and we wish him a speedy recovery. Uh, that does mean uh, that HWA obviously are going to have a seat available for, you know, for, for probably for the end of, you know, the rest of the season. Anyone in mind, Jim, anyone that stands out? They said that they brought Jack in or Jack said himself on the, on the, on the podcast that, you know, they brought him in because of his experience. Are there any experienced drivers out there that they may be looking to, to get in just to, you know, get a, get a bit more knowledge about the car? Alex Albon. Could you imagine? <laughs> it's, a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Uh, it really is. I'd love to see Callum Eilat racing somewhere. Um, I don't think that's going to be the one to happen. But we spoke to Jack, didn't we? He was, he was on the podcast and it's great to talk to. And um, maybe he's never going to come on the podcast again, considering what happens after you speak to us. Uh, <laughs> so uh, wish, him a, wish him a speedy recovery. Uh, but yeah, it, it, he gave some... If you haven't listened to that podcast or watched it, really have a have a watch and, and a listen to it because he gave some really insightful answers, including about with HWA, he's there as somebody to give that sort of experience and they're fully aware of that. It, it's not there for him to go and win the races as, as much as they'd love that. So having anybody really who has some way to propel that team forwards would be would be ace. You know, the first driver that came to my mind was, uh, oh, we'll, we'll get we'll get Arte Markle off, uh, back. You know, he's he's been in and out of the seats or, you know, been in and out of Formula 2, really, so many times. He has the experience, doesn't he? So uh, maybe we'll see him coming back. I don't know. I don't know. But, yeah, watch this space. Absolutely. Now, quick fire question time for our panel now. Uh, so, guys, I'm Jim, I'm going to come to you first. Lawrence, then I'm going to come to you. And Hannah, I'm going to come to you last. So our driver of the year so far, Jim. Fortunately, quickfire, I had thought about this before and it surprised me when I said it, but Oscar Piastri, um, I don't really think I need to go into too much details why after speaking, everyone speaking about him a bit earlier, but going into Prima, uh, you expected to do well, but to do as well as quickly from even being the Formula 3 champion, we didn't see um, Schumacher do that. 
Uh, so yeah, really impressive. Uh, really doesn't look out of his depth and could win the championship. A really, really high possibility that he could win the championship. What happens afterwards, I don't know. But yeah, easy drive this season for me. Definitely. Lawrence, driver of the season so far? Unfortunately, I'm going to have to agree with Jim and go with Piastri. Um, that that consistency, the the pace that he's that he's had as well, you you can't really look past it. The likes of Joe and Schwartzman have had great performances, but haven't always backed them up immediately afterwards in the way that Piastri has. So, yeah, you can't you can't look elsewhere, in my opinion. I know we're going to have a, a clean sweep, Oscar Piastri. I think so. Uh, for me, Oscar has to be the driver of the season so far. I think. His performances across the board have shown that he's got to grips that car incredibly well and has outshone those around him. I think even when he struggled, he's still been able to maximise points out of it. Look at Silverstone. All the drivers said how difficult it was to overtake that track. But he got a sixth, the fourth and the third. And obviously got the pole position there as well. He's definitely got to be the standout and the one that I would hotly take to take the title because he just doesn't seem to have those peaks and troughs in his performance that the others seem to have. And surprise of the year, maybe a driver that you didn't expect to do as well as they've done, Jim. That is the one that's put me on a spot. Dan Tickton, probably. Um, looking down, looking down the, the drivers that are there. Uh, not surprised for me because he's ace, but also Ralph Lachon going as well as he has. Uh, in particular with the season that Campos, has, the way they started their year, that's great to see. So yeah, choose, choose between those guys. I'll, I'll go with Ralph Lachon. Lawrence? I think it would have to be Richard Vashore for me. Um, the way he's performed in, in that car um, with his, his victory in, in the second sprint race in Silverstone as a, as a particular highlight. Um, we spoke about it on the last podcast. He's, he's been doing more than, than you could ask for in, in that car. And um, yeah, still a young driver and a bright career ahead of him, hopefully. And Hannah? I'm going to agree with Lawrence and say Richard for sure. I think he's having to be both an F2 driver and a businessman off the track trying to secure funding for that seat. And you cannot fault his performances. I think obviously Silverstone was particularly high about getting that maiden win so early in his Formula 2 career. I knew he'd probably have some speed in that NP Motorsport car, but I didn't expect him to be as quick as he is. And if you look compared to Lorim Zendeli, his teammate, Vashore's 10th from the championship, Sendali's 17th. He's thoroughly outshone him and definitely a surprise for me. Brilliant. And finally, one word answer on this one, guys. One word answer. Who is going to be our championship winner come Abu Dhabi, Jim? Robert Schwartzman. Two words, sorry. <laughs> Lawrence? Joe. And Hannah? Yastri. Wow, three different answers. Wow, Okay. We will see come Abu Dhabi. I'm so excited for the second half of this season. It is going to be brilliant. But guys, that's all we have time for today. Jim, Hannah, Lawrence, thank you so much for joining us on today's show. And thank you to you guys at home as well for joining us. If you've enjoyed the show, make sure you hit that like button. Make sure you subscribe for any exclusive interviews, track guides, and of course, more from the F2 show. If you have any questions, please get in contact with us on our social media channels. You can leave a question in the comments below. From me, Fraser Ford, and all of us here at Inside F2, We'll see you next time.